So this morning what I want to do is I'm going to share very quickly on what it means to connect deeper to the church. Right? Because think about it. We all come to church. Like we're all here right now. So you're all at church. But what does it mean to truly be connected to church? What, what plan does God have for you when it comes to church? Essentially what happens at the end of, of, of coming to church is that we understand what God has for our lives. I'm going to read a couple of scriptures, explain what it means to be connected to church, and, and hopefully in the last 15 to 20 minutes, we're going to go through three ways to connect deeper into church. We're going to start with a couple of scriptures that I'm going to pray. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22. Ephesians 1, 22, it says this, And God placed all things under his feet, Jesus' feet, and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, who fills everything in every way. I really like the message paraphrase, which says this, At the center of all this, Christ rules the church. The church, you see, is not peripheral to the world, but the world is peripheral to the church. The church is Christ's body in which he speaks and acts, by which he fills everything with his presence. You know, the church is God's idea. It's not some made-up organization that people came up with. This is actually God's plan to save the world. The church is God's plan to save the world. It's not some secondary afterthought where God was like, Oh yeah, the world. We need a good idea. What should we do? It wasn't like that. God, it actually says that, that the church is not peripheral to the world. Let, let me just explain this word peripheral, right? Peripheral means outside of focus. You have peripheral vision. Hopefully you're paying attention. You're staring at me. Hopefully. And, and in your peripheral vision, you're seeing, I don't know, maybe a drum kit. Maybe a keyboard. Maybe there's someone leaving the service right now. Huh? No, okay. And, and, and so, you know, that's in your peripheral vision, because it's not your main focus. It's on the outside of what you're looking at. And, and what the scripture says is that the church is not on the outside of the world. It's not sort of like the world is happening, this is happening, society, politics, culture, that's all happening. And then you kind of go, oh, and the church is somewhere there. That's not how God designed it. He actually designed it so that the main focus would be the church. So the, the church would be the center, would be, this is what we're looking at. And then we go, okay, now how is the church going to impact the world? Right? Because that is, that is how God designed the church. So if we want to fulfill what God has for us, if we want to be, if we want to fulfill the purpose God has, we actually need to be part of the church. Because that is the vessel with which God is going to change the world. And so we need to be connected to the church. One more scripture that I'm going to pray. 1 Corinthians 12 verse 12. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. Father, we're so grateful 
that you're here, that Holy Spirit, your presence is here. We pray that you would speak to us, open our hearts and our minds. We would receive something this morning, that, that God, you would teach us, you would lead us, you would guide us, that Holy Spirit, you would have your way in our hearts and our minds, that your word would go forth, it would not return to you void, but it will accomplish the purpose for which you sent it. So we thank you, God, that you are here. We thank you, God, for your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There is a movement disorder known as dystonia. Has anyone heard of this? Dystonia? A couple of people. And, and this, this disease to me, it, it's like this is, sounds like the most horrible disease you could ever get. And, and the reason why is because diser, in, with people with dystonia, what happens is their muscles will contract involuntarily. And, and there are different degrees. Some of them, it's like one muscle. Some of them, it's a group of muscles. Some people, unfortunately, they go through the effect where it affects their entire body. And what will happen is that because they cannot voluntarily choose which muscle to contract and, and extend, what happens is that they, they, they don't know when it's going to strike. It's not, it's not like a 24-7 thing. It's that they may unknowingly unwillingly, completely involuntarily, suddenly their muscle will contract, right? It's like there's no predictable element to dystonia. And what happens is that you can't actually depend on your own body. Imagine that. Imagine being in a place where you just can't trust what your body is going to do. You tell your body what to do, but your body doesn't do it. Or your body suddenly acts in a way that you never told your body to act. And unfortunately, people with dystonia, what happens is without any intention to, they've in their brain, in their mind, in their head, they have absolutely the best of intentions. They have a a proper purpose. They have a task to accomplish. But unfortunately, because the body does not listen, they might hurt themselves. Or they might hurt someone around them. intentionally, but because the body is not listening to their head, they end up hurting other people. We're going to get a little scientific, but just go with me. It's going to make sense. See, the part of the brain that actually causes this, it's not the brain itself, right? And it's not the muscle. It's a part of the brain called the... I did neuroscience, but I completely forgotten everything. It's part of the brain called the basal ganglia, right? And, and the basal ganglia, which is sort of at the, near your brainstem, among, uh, amongst other functions, one of its primary functions is to tell, is, is to send a signal from the brain to your body, right? So th- this, this is how it works, for example. It's how you go from, I'm going to pick up my Bible. If you have your Bible here, pick it up. Go, pick it up, right? Now, when you picked up your Bible just then, you just thought to yourself, I'm going to pick up my Bible. And so, you just picked it up, right? And your basal ganglia, what your basal ganglia did is it allowed you to simply think of what to do and to do it. What you didn't do, right, was consciously go, okay, shoulder muscle up. Uh, right bicep slightly contract. Okay, extend, pick fingers Okay, index finger, middle finger, okay. 
Right? And, and you're not sort of thinking every individual action. You're not kind of going, oh, that's way heavier than I thought. I better adjust my grip. I better, like, you're, you're not thinking these things. You're just doing it. Right? And that is your basal ganglia. Thank God for your basal ganglia. Because what it does is it allows you to perform an action quickly, smoothly, easily. It translates from your brain. This is what I want to do. And your body is able to do it without thinking of every individual tiny action that it takes. What happens with dystonia is that that part of the brain doesn't function properly. And, and so the brain says, okay, pick up your Bible. But it won't. Pick, you know, stretch out your hand, but it doesn't. Or, or your brain is saying, okay, relax, and your arm's like, no. <laughs> right? Not, not trying to mock it. It's, it's just that that's how it works, is that your brain is healthy. Your brain is telling you the right thing. Your brain has the right ideas, the right purpose. And you know what? The muscle is good. The muscle is strong. The muscle is healthy. But the breakdown is not in the brain. The breakdown is not in the muscle. The breakdown is that the muscle is not doing what the brain is telling it to do. Why am I talking about this? Colossians 1.18. He is the head of the body. The church. 1 Corinthians 12. Just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body. So it is with Christ, verse 14. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Pastor Alex said this so well this morning. You are the church. You are the body of Christ. You are actually members of this body, and Jesus is the head. Right? And, and what we have to understand is that if Jesus is the head, that means he is the brains of this whole thing. It's like he's the guy going, guys, this is what we got to do. This is the plan. This is the strategy. This is the purpose. This is where we're going. This is what we're doing. And we are the body. So we are the arms, the legs, the feet, whatever, the pinky toe. And, and we're the body kind of going, okay, if the head says walk, then I've got to walk. If the head says go here, then... I have to go there because I'm just the body. I'm not the head. Jesus is the head. And so our purpose is to accomplish what the head wants, right? So what does that mean? It means that, think about it. If the church is God's way of impacting the world, which it is, then for us as the body, our responsibility is not to question whether this is a good idea or not. Our responsibility as a body is not to go, hmm, I wonder if Jesus is right about this. Is this really the best strategy, Jesus? And our responsibility as a church is to actually go, well, if God wants us to go there, we're going there. If God wants us to say these words, we're going to say these words. If God wants me to pray for someone, I'm going to pray for them. Because God has a plan and a purpose for his body. Just as your brain has a plan and a purpose for your body, so God has with his. And for us as the body... We simply need to go, okay, I'm going to do what the head, what Jesus is telling me to do. Now, now think about it, right? If that's the case, and according to the Bible it is, if the church is God's plan to change the world, do you realize what that means for you and I individually? It's that if we want to accomplish God's purpose for us, 
It is intimately, completely integrated to being connected to the church. You actually cannot accomplish what God has for your life without being part of the church. That's a bit scary, I know. But, but the reason is because if the church is God's way of impacting the world, then if we individually want to accomplish what he has for us, we need to be part of the church. We need to be part of his body. He, God, okay, this is going to sound weird. God is not going to have his body going, okay, this is my body. This is what I'm going to do. This is what I want to accomplish. And then go, ah, oh, and then I'm going to cut off my finger, throw it over there and hope that my finger does what I want it to do. Right? Like, like God's not going to dismember himself. He's not going to cut off a piece and go, okay, you individual piece, not connected. I have a purpose for you. Like we, we don't do that. Because we understand that if I cut off my finger, it doesn't do what I say anymore. <laughs> right? It's like, that's not part of me anymore. And, and so it is with the church is that we actually need to stay connected to fulfill God's plan for our lives and for his church. And, and think about it like this. See, like dystonia, what can happen is that you can be a really strong muscle. You can be really talented, really gifted. You can have the calling of God in your life. But the second we disconnect from the church, it's like having dystonia. It's like God saying, why is my arm moving? I didn't tell my arm to move. Why is my arm not doing what I told it to do? Like, yeah, but I'm so strong. Look at the bicep. Ah. And, and it's like, why are you doing this? Because you're not connected to the head. Because if we're not plugged in, if we're not connected to what the head wants, suddenly we're just doing our own thing. We're just going, okay, leg, let's go. We're walking this way. And God's like, but I want to go the other way. It's like, no, 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 I don't need to be part of the body. I, I'm so talented. I'm so gifted. I've got such great ideas. And God's like, wait, but, but the church is where I want to accomplish my purpose. Not you on your own, not by yourself. But when we come together as the church. And just like Dystonia, you know what happens? We have the best of intentions. We want to do what God wants us to do. And unintentionally, not on purpose, we hurt ourselves, we hurt the rest of the body of Christ, or we hurt other people. That's what happens where we're not properly connected to the head. This is, this is the place where you go, why did that church leader suddenly fall away from God? Why did that person comment some hate-filled thing online? And use some scripture out of context to condemn someone. Why is that cult starting up by itself? Why, why is this weird, really terrible theology being taught? Why, why are these people saying that sin is fine, that we celebrate sin? Why are these people here just hating on other people? All of that happens when people, when the church, when the body is not connected to the head. And so it's so important that we stay connected to God, right, through the church. I know what you're thinking. You're going, well, why do I have to stay connected to the church to be connected to Jesus? And then you're going to quote John 15 at me, right? But we're going to, we're going to do what Jesus did, which is I'm going to fight scripture with scripture. And, and this is what Acts 2.44 says. It says that the believers were together and had everything in common. Verse 46, it says they continued to meet together every 
day. Acts chapter 20 verse 7. It says that they were gathering on the first day of the week to break bread. 1 Corinthians 11.34. It says when you meet together. It's not like, you know, if you meet together. It's when you meet together. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 25. It says that we should not give up meeting together. And so the Bible's clear that he, that God wants us as the church to continuously meet together. This is not a solo thing. This is a let's get together kind of thing. And, and Pastor Mark shared on this, I don't know, maybe three years ago when he came back. Um, and, and, he, and he told us this, right? The words here, meeting together, it's a tautology, right? A tautology is when you needlessly repeat something. So a great definition, also a tautology in itself, is saying the same thing twice. Right? You're repeating yourself. And, and so this phrase, meeting together, is really repetitive. It's like, you should just say meeting. Or you should just say come together. You don't have to say meeting together. Like, why double it up? You see, when the Bible doubles something up, when it says the same thing twice, what the Bible's saying is going, this is really important. I need to emphasize this. I need to repeat myself. I need to say this again and again so that it is on the forefront of your mind. And he goes, meet together. Meet together. So it's like, come together and then meet. It's like, meet and then do it together. It's like, he just Paul Paul and the authors are just saying, make sure that you are meeting together. Right? It was Jesus' idea to start the church. He wants us to come together. If we want to accomplish God's purpose for our lives, we need to start by staying connected to the church. That is God's will for our lives. 1 Corinthians 12, 27, it says this. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. How? Okay, so now we're going to talk about three ways to stay connected to church, right? Three ways. Number one is this. Deeper community. Deeper community. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10, it says this, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You know what's amazing about the scripture? Is it, is it says that when you were created, right, before you were even born, God looked at you and he went, Okay, I have things for you. I have things that I want you to accomplish before you were born. Like, this is not, well, these are my aspirations. I like the color blue. It's none of that. It's not like a personal inclination. It's that before you were ever born, before your parents even had the great idea of getting together, God said, I have things for you to do. Right? He's gone, I have a checklist for you, good works for you to accomplish. And, 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 you know, when, when he looked at you, he goes, these are the, these are the milestones you're gonna have, these are the purposes you're gonna have, the difference you're gonna make, the impact you're gonna have. And, and he has all this planned out. You're not even born yet. And God's like, I've got all of this stuff planned out. It's not random. It's not happenstance. It's not like you stumbled upon your purpose. It's that God had it all planned out. But then the question is, how do I know what God has planned for me? Right? Is no one like that? Is it, you know, it's like if God has all this amazing stuff planned for me, if he has a plan for my life, if he has all these things he wants me to do, it's like, well, how do I know? How am I supposed to figure out 
what God has for my life. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 24. It says, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. But encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. This is, you know, you know when you read the Bible and you're like, yeah, that's a great verse. I read this and it clicked. Something just went, like God, obviously, just dropped something on my brain. And I was like, this is, wow. You know, it's actually within the church community that you discover what God has for your life. Right? So sometimes what we do is we go, oh, I need to discover myself. I need to travel to another country for six months. Then I'll figure out what God has for me. I need to go to... I don't know, some sort of therapy or something, then I'll, I'll be at peace. And, you know, and we think all these things, how am I going to figure it out? I need to get out of church. I need to get out of this, this place. But do you know, do you realize that we actually discover God's purpose for us in church? It's actually here. It's actually when you gather together, as we gather into a, a deeper community, that is where you'll discover what God has for your life, right? And I love, I love this scripture because the author says, right, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. It's like, it's like we go, okay, God has a plan for life. He's got all these good deeds for you to do, these good purposes. And the author of Hebrews goes, do you want to know what that is? We're like, yes, tell me. And he goes, well, we, we need to consider how to spur each other on towards that. You want to know what it is? Well, we need to work together and spur each other on to figure that out. It's like, how do you know what it is? Well, you know what? It's not actually God's responsibility to come up to you and go, Oh, Revelation, this is who you're going to be in 10 years. It's not that. You don't need to wait for some you know, amazing prophet to come on stage and go, You in the yellow jacket over there with the raincoat. Like, like You don't need that. You don't need this prophetic revelation because the Bible says, You want to know what God wants you to do? Let's figure this out together. Let's spur each other on towards love and good deeds. Let's figure this out on our own. And, and Jesus, ah, oh, he's so smart. It's amazing, right? The way he designed the church, right, is, is so that as you help other people, you are going to help yourself. As you help other people discover your, their calling and their purpose, you're going to discover your calling and your purpose. Yeah, that's part A of the revelation, this Three parts, right? Part A is that, you know, that's it. Why? Part B. Because you don't need to know your purpose to help someone discover theirs. Think about it. You don't need to know what God has called you to do or called you to be to help someone else discover theirs. It's not like you go, oh, I don't know what I'm meant to do. Someone goes, hey, what should I do? You're like, well, I don't know mine's, I don't know yours. No, you can actually help them. You can encourage them. You can spur them on. Go, well, who's in your world? Who can you pray for? What can you do? What can you volunteer in? You can actually help other people discover theirs when you don't even know yours. But here's part C. Ah, It's amazing. When you help someone else discover their purpose, you start to discover your purpose. Right? And say, it's like, I don't know mine, but I'll help you discover yours. And as you discover yours, I'm discovering mine. It's amazing. It's like God's like, you can do this. 
You don't need some divine intervention to go, oh, from heaven, this is... He goes, if you just help other people discover their purpose, you're going to figure out yours. Why? How does this work? Because here's the thing, right? What does the scripture say? It says, spare one another towards love and good deeds. That's God's will for you, to love and for good deeds, right? As you're going, okay, I just need to love them. Guess what you're doing? You're doing God's will for your life by helping discover, helping someone discover God's will for their life. That is God's will for your life, to love them, right? And as you keep loving them, slowly it goes from a general, I'm just going to help people, and it starts narrowing down, it starts getting more, more distinct, more defined, and suddenly you're like, hey, I'm discovering what God has for my life now. I'm discovering what God wants me to do. You know, sometimes it's simply encouraging someone to join a ministry. Sometimes it's simply praying for them, being a listening ear to understand what they're going through. Sometimes it's giving resources, being generous. Sometimes it's an encouraging message, telling someone they did well. Sometimes it's just appreciating their work. And from these little things of just going, how am I going to help this person? You start to discover what God has created you to do. You know why, another reason why I love this scripture, right? Is because it talks about spurring, right? And, and for us to go deeper into community, right? See, sometimes what happens, we come to church, we go, oh, I don't feel connected. I don't feel like I belong. I don't feel like I've got a really good, strong sense of community. Just start by spurring someone on. The more you spur them on, the more connected you are, right? Just flow with me for a sec. You know, you know the origin of a spur, right, is, is horses. Anyone love horses? I don't know anything about horses. Um, and, and so what happens though on a horse is that people, before there were cars, they would ride horses. And here's the thing. The rider is connected to the horse. Right? So it's not like the horse can go somewhere without the rider. And so what would happen is the rider would have these little spiky things on their shoes. And they were called spurs. And what you would do is you would use the spur to kick the horse. I know, it sounds painful. But when you kick the horse a little bit, not like... You know, it's just, just a gentle one. What it does is it encourages the horse to go forward, right? And so it pushes them. Yes, there's a little bit of pain, but the purpose is not pain. The purpose is progress. And what happens is you, you just encourage them. You're like kicking them. But here's the thing. The more you encourage the horse, the further the horse takes you, right? And so when, when you're spurring someone on, it's like the more you encourage someone, the more they're taking you along, the more they're encouraging you. It's like you're going, I'm encouraging you, but... But in return, I'm getting encouraged. I'm building you up, but it's building me up. I'm seeing you succeed, but I feel like I'm succeeding. And so, so God's called us, hey, your purpose? Spur one another on. Push them. A little bit. Yeah, it's painful. But the point isn't pain. The point is progress. You know, sometimes, we look at our connect group leaders. We love our connect group leaders. Youth leaders. We love our youth leaders, young adult leaders. We love all the volunteers at our church, right? But sometimes what we do is we go, man, they said something to me that was really painful. That, that leader said something. And that was painful. And I didn't like it. I'm uncomfortable. And we go, man, that, that was bad leadership. That was really bad leadership because of what they said. Here's my question, though. Was that bad leadership? Or was that actually good community? Just because it's painful, it doesn't mean it's not progressive. 
right? Sometimes as leaders, we have to say things that are painful. But it's for progress. It's for community. It's because when you succeed, even though it's correction, when you succeed, we all succeed. All right, number two, because we're running out of time. Number two, deeper commitment. So number one was deeper community. Number two is deeper commitment. Romans chapter 12, verse 4, it says this. For each of us has one body with with many members. These members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy. Serving, serve, teaching, teach, encourage, then encourage. If it's giving, give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. 2 Corinthians 8 verse 7. It says, but since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. We are all part of the body, and we all have a part to play. Do you know that when your body, if you don't use a certain part of your body for a long time, it begins to atrophy, Right, and, and what that means is basically is that part starts to become weak and useless. It's like, you know, okay, easier example to relate to. This happened like three weeks ago for me. It's like you wake up in the morning, you don't stretch, you don't, you know, you don't do anything, you just get up, and then you try and pick something off the floor, and you're like, ah, 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 oh, that really hurt. You know, it, it's like you don't, you don't mean it. It's like it's just you didn't stretch, you haven't exercised and gone to the gym for a while. And, and, you know, it's like you, you try and pick something up and suddenly it's like, oh, that really hurt. I twisted my back. I can't walk. You know, and what happens is because that, that muscle has not been used, because it hasn't been exercised, it begins to become useless. It can't even help you with a simple, easy task like picking up something off the ground, right? And the thing is that you are part of the body of Christ. God has given you a gift and a role to play. And the last thing God wants for you is to atrophy. He does not want you to become that part of the body where it's like, okay, time to go. And you're like, I can't. No, this hurts. This hurts. Ow, ow, ow. He doesn't want you to become a part of the body that, that it's like, you've got all this potential and all this use and, and this is the purpose I have. And then you're like, no, I can't. I just pulled something. No, gift of prophecy can't come out, can't come out, it's stop, stop. You know, you know, it's that God has given you a gift to use it. He's actually given you a gift to use it. He hasn't given it to you for you to sit on it and to go, yeah, I'm pretty good at that, but nah. He hasn't given it to you for it to lie dormant in your life. He's given it to you so that you can use it, right? Your gift has nothing to do with age or experience. These are the two most common excuses to not do something. One, I'm too old, so I can't do it. Two, I'm too young, so I can't do it. You're never too old, you're never too young. Otherwise, you you know, it's just like, it's like suddenly I'm too young, I'm too young. Ah, now I'm too old, right? It's like there's no perfect, it's like you're never too old, you're never too young. If God's given you a gift, he wants you to use it, right? The church needs your gift. The church needs your gift. It's not, it's not like one of those, oh, you know, it would be nice to have. No, the church needs your gift. That's why God put you in the church with that gift, because we need it. 
We need it. It is essential for the church to accomplish what God wants. We need your gift. And so what is your gift? What has God given you? It couldn't be anything. It could be a spiritual gift. It could be a leadership gift. It could be a serving gift. The point is that we need your gift. It's not enough for us to go, well, there's one guy in our church who's got the gift of giving. It's not good enough. It's not good enough to go, we've got one guy in our church who's a good teacher. Or one guy who can, who has the gift of mercy. One person with a gift of hospitality. It's not enough. We need all of the gifts. We need all of you with every single gift to be using them to build the church. In verse 5, what it says is that each member belongs to all the others. See, your gift is actually for the others. That's why we need it. It's not so that you can go, oh, look at my gift. It's so that you can go, that person needs it. The body needs it. Other people need it. My gift is essential. I found this, this, okay, think about it like this, right? Imagine you go to a restaurant. You're like, yeah, I'm going to go to the restaurant. I'm going to order something delicious. I'm going to, you know, you're looking at the menu. You figured it all out. You're like, yeah, I'm going to have this and this and this. You know, entree, main, dessert, drink, everything. You figured this out. And you're sitting there. The waiter comes up to you, looks at you and goes, I can't do this. You're like, huh? Just, just write down my order. And like, no, I can't, I can't. And they back off, and you're like, no, come back, come back. And he's like, no, 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 you don't understand. I've only got a pen and a paper, and, and I don't know what I'm doing. I'm not good enough. I can't, I can't handle this, and, and I'm nervous, and, and oh, no, 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 I can't do this. And, and the waiter just backs up. But you, you know what? It's, for us, it'll be like, that's so weird, because all the waiter has to do is to write down my order. The waiter has the right tools. The waiter has the training. The waiter represents the owner. And all the waiter is supposed to do is connect the customer to the business. He doesn't need to do anything extra. He doesn't need spend. He just, you have everything you need. Just connect the business to the customer, right? You see, the waiter, this is so good. Our gift is for us to connect God to the people. Our gift is here, not not to go look at my gift, is it good enough? Is it, it's like God has given you everything you need. It doesn't have to be complicated, it doesn't have to be this whoa big shot. It's just you're connecting God to the people. All you're doing is going, okay, I've got pen and paper, that's it. So many people have pen and paper. Yeah, but you have pen and paper and you're with that person. And so your job is go, I'm gonna connect that person to God. See, serving is not about the server. Serving is about who you serve. Serving is not about the server. Serving is about who you serve. We serve God. We serve people. It's not about us. It's about God. And it's about people. And so you have a gift. Your gift is essential. Your gift is needed. We need you to use your gift. The church needs your gift. What does that mean? Real Really simply, if you can volunteer, volunteer. We need people to help our kids' church. We need people to make coffees. We need people to welcome guests, to put people into seats, to make our church the best church it can possibly be. But we need you. We need you. We need your gift. Last thing, point number three. We need to have deeper conversations. 
James chapter 4, verse 11. Deeper conversations. James 4, 11. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. You know, something I've always been curious about. When I see two toddlers talking, it's just so funny to me. Because I'm like, what are you talking about? (laughs) Like, what could two three-year-olds possibly have to say to each other? And they're just talking and talking. I'm like, do you understand each other? Are you listening? Are you having a deep and meaningful? Are you explaining something? Or are you just talking? Like, uh, you know, are you using real words or is it made up? Like, you know, it's like, are you are you solving the the crisis of global warming or are you just blabbing on about nothing? And and so for me, it's like, what what are they talking about? What did toddlers talk about? Is this like a significant, well thought through conversation, or is this just empty words, right? And it's one thing to look at kids and toddlers like that. But it's another to think about us as fully mature adults with hopefully better vocabulary. And, and it's like, how do we talk? What do we talk about? Better question. How do we talk to one another? And how do we talk about one another? This scripture in James 4 says, do not slander one another. And this is going to sound a bit harsh, but here we go. We just can't talk bad about each other. Like, we just can't. Like, anyone in this room, it's like, that person hurt me, that... No. We need deeper conversations. We are not going to talk bad about one another. That's who we are as a church. We don't slander. There's no gossip. There's no sort of rumor going on where this person isn't like that person, where they hurt them, they did this, they're a bad person. We don't talk like that. Because we are the body of Christ. We talk well of each other. We actually need to to think and believe the best for one another. You you know what's going to happen, right? Someone in your connect group, you're like, oh, this person didn't come to, to connect group. Man, they must be backsliding. They must have done this. They must be out getting drunk. No! Get that out. Stop thinking bad about one another. Stop assuming the worst. We actually have to think the best. We actually have to go, no, maybe they're going through something. Maybe I can encourage them. Maybe I can build them up. Maybe they're just sick at home and they need someone to visit them. See, instead of thinking bad about others, we actually need to think the best of them. I shared this with our youth and young adult leaders a few weeks ago in John chapter 13, verse 34. John 13, 34. I'm going to close really soon. John 13, 34. Jesus says this, the Passion Translation. So I give you now a new commandment. Love each other just as much as I have loved you. For when you demonstrate the same love I have for you by loving one another, everyone will know that you're my true followers. You know in this scripture, Jesus does not just tell us to love one another. That's not it. It's not as simple as just loving one another. He says this, and the NIV says it like this. Love one another as I have loved you. Jesus sets a standard for the love that we are to have for one another. Not just 
Love them the way you love them. Love them the best ability that you, to the best of your ability. It's not. He goes, love them the way I love you. Imagine if Jesus comes up to you and he says to you what you said to that other person. Imagine if he treated you the way you treat others. Imagine if he talked about you the way you talk about others. And suddenly we're like, oh, but I, I, I was just kidding when I said that. I didn't mean that. I didn't. But imagine if Jesus, the king of the universe, the one we turn to, the one we run to, the one we love, the one we, we look for acceptance and mercy and grace and compassion. Imagine we go up to him and, and, and we're like, Jesus, oh, this is my life. And he's like, man, you're an idiot. And it's like, What? What? Jesus, you can't say that. It's like, yeah, well, you said that to that other guy. Imagine if Jesus comes up and he says, man, you, you really messed up. You made so many big mistakes. I can't even believe you did that. And we're like, Jesus, how can you say that to me? And it's like, well, well when you were talking about that person, that's what you said. That's what you said. That's how, what you assumed of them. That's how you treated them is that you said that, that they were too far, that they were really far from me that they made so many mistakes that they couldn't come back that and it's like suddenly we realize that Jesus has set this standard of love Jesus has set the standard of conversation how do we talk to one another how do we talk about one another because at the end of the day Jesus says you treat them like I treat you you speak to them the way I speak to you. You speak about them the way I speak about you. Our conversations need to go deeper. Our conversations need to be full of the compassion and love and grace and yes, correction of Jesus. But you understand, but what you have to understand is the deeper our community, the deeper our commitment, the deeper our conversations, the deeper we are in church. The more we'll grow together, the more you'll belong, the more we'll accelerate, the more we'll go further, the, the better we'll spur each other on. But we have to get deeper. We have to make a commitment. We have to make a choice to say, you know what? This year, I'm not going to do it like I did last year. I'm not going to be the same. I'm not going to act the same, think the same. I'm going to go deeper. I'm going to make a choice to, to commit. I'm going to make a choice to be part of this community. I'm going to make a choice to have good conversations. Let's stand this morning. See, church, Jesus has designed us, his body, to be healthy. He designed us that the body would do what the head says. So there's no disconnect. There's no, there's no sudden movements or outside of authority movements. But instead, to be a healthy, coordinated, efficient, effective body that would change the world. And you're part of that.